Last week, we studied Jesus and his role in our ministry. It's been interesting this week, uh, not only for me, but also for a number of you that I've been able to uh, talk to. Uh, This morning, we had a long discussion about ministry that God's called us to do this week that is uh, was outside the box and uh, it's it's always exciting to me and also um, it it strengthens my faith my love for God my uh, belief that God guides every aspect of of what we do and uh, for for me what I preach uh, to see that a week comes at the end of a message that uh, where where it just is applied, you know, where God allows us to take the truth that we learned and put it into practice. Remember a few weeks ago when we talked about the uh, the storming of the uh, the storming of the calm, the calming of the storm. <laughs> seems like sometimes my calm gets stormed, but the the calming of the storm. We talked about the fact that that was a, an experience that that came that Jesus saw coming. And spent the whole day preparing the disciples for, giving them words that would ultimately become reality for them uh, in an experience. <clears throat> and so that's the way God works. We'll see another story today, very similar to that, of how Jesus takes words and ultimately reveals himself when we obey what he says, or when we see his truth uh, in our practice. Uh, it's what he created us for. You'll see that clearly today. But it's interesting to me that this week, uh, some of you have shared some really, really neat stories of not only ministry that you did, but ministry that was obviously God-led. It was outside your box. Uh, We did also, my wife and I, ministry outside of our box. And then how God just blessed that. and, 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 uh, And then after that for us, God all week confirmed, you know, you did the right thing. You did the right thing, which I needed to hear. And so God is so faithful, you know, to guide us as a church. I want to remind you of that just because uh, you guys know this, but I don't, I don't get up here to preach, to be heard on Sundays. Uh, matter of fact, it would probably be better if it was somebody else proclaiming the message, uh, except that I'm called, so it wouldn't be better in that way. But I have no attachment to what this brings to me. But I, I have a real attachment to what I, how I get to know God through the process. And I hope you're doing the same. I hope that, this is, that you realize that when we come together on Sunday mornings, there's really only one or two, I guess, reasons why we do this corporately. Why we don't just do it in homes. Because what we do in homes is really good. And that is because we, you know, throughout the history of the church, the church has always come together to do what we just sang. That psalm was a psalm that David uh, wrote and that the church sang for years about how they experienced God in their lives and what they wanted to say in response to that. So really, today for us, when we sing worship songs to God, if our hearts are engaged, and, and, and if you were like me, I mean, I, I connected with a number of those songs today in my heart. I was passionate about singing those songs because this week, was all about that. So it's a celebration of what God's done. And it's a whole body of like-minded believers that God's called to be together, coming together to worship him. But then the word, when I preach the word, it's not so that you can hear a really cool sermon. It's, 
you know, it's not so that I, I, so you can listen to see if I give you a really neat illustration or, you know, that it's something that I, I hope that you'll come up to me afterwards and say, really good sermon preacher, you know. The purpose of me preaching to the body is because I have been called by God to be the angel or messenger of the church. And those words are, I'm not an angel in that sense. (laughs) Finally, I get some amens. But the word angel and messenger in the Bible are are the same word. And in the book of Revelation, you know, John, it's been interpreted in most versions as angel. But each messenger to each church had a different word for that body because there's something in that body that needed to be addressed. Y'all with me? So when I speak, I spend my week trying to get get the heart of God for this body. I'm not worried about whether it's going to touch other bodies. I'm not preaching to other bodies. I'm... I'm preaching to people who have been called to be here and be a part of this body to come be with us and to, to share this experience with us. And so, so hear it that way. You know, it's important to me that, that you not only be here, but that you be awake and alert and that you, you, know, that you digest this stuff and that you plug it into your life. And you know, by digest, I mean... Take in the nutrients that are in this word for you. Let the Holy Spirit speak. What do I need to apply to my spiritual life that, that will give me sustenance and help me to know God in a, in a deeper way by the time this week is done and next week and whatever? And what lessons does God want to teach me in my experiences with him this week that will carry me on to draw me closer to him, to deepen my love for him and deepen my faith in him, my understanding of him? So ask yourself that as we do this, and do what you have to do. Uh, unfortunately, I can't just open brain and insert knowledge, uh, which wouldn't be enough anyway. I really can't and then, then press the knowledge through the brain into your heart, okay? Holy Spirit can do that, but you need to do your part by just, just plugging in, okay? So I'm going to try to be as brief as possible, and hopefully you will, you will find the Spirit opening your heart up and giving you a passion. It's what I, what I pray for for you that God would open your heart up to receive these words and, and apply them uh, in your life so that you can know God in deeper ways. So last week, we studied Jesus and his role of ministry, and we saw how he empowered the disciples, right? How he sent them out. He provided for their needs as they went out. He sent his spirit ahead of them to prepare the way, and it was obvious when they went there, and they encountered, things that, uh, they encountered some things about Jesus uh, that ultimately accomplished his main goal, and that was that he would reveal more truth about himself to his disciples through their experience and their obedience. The disciples experienced the fruit of their obedience. There was a deeper knowledge of God that came by the experience. It wasn't just the experience itself. We'll talk about that. It wasn't just the results. It was they came to know God in deeper ways, and that's what Jesus is all about. He wants to give us a deeper knowledge of experience. And that's the fruit of us abiding in him. A deeper knowledge of him by the experience. The production of more disciples also came as a result. That is fruit. It's the fruit of what God does. Is more people come to follow him. If we, are, if we are obeying ourselves instead of obeying God, then the fruit we produce will be our fruit. 
But if we were obeying God in every word, and some very creative ministry this past week happened. And, and that ministry was done because people in the church obeyed what God said. When you obey God, and you just like the disciples here, obey God, then God gets to, then all that he empowered you with is, 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 um, is used in the moment. And God produces fruit, and people are not drawn to you, they're drawn to him. I'm excited about that today. But let me ask you this question. Do you ever wonder what God feels whenever you get a new discovery about him? I love to see when, when you guys begin to understand, uh, new, new people that have come into the church, when you begin to understand what it means to abide in Christ, and, and you really begin to, to ask God about things, and you obey what he says, and then God does something, and you go, the epiphany that happens, that, wow. God told me this, or, or I'm, I was asking God a question, and he answered it in what I was reading today. How weird is that? Or a song that I heard. You know, it, when, you, when you have that epiphany that God is real and personal, and he speaks, man, that excites me. But do you ever wonder what God feels whenever you have that new discovery? So in the case of the 12 disciples and then the 72 that he sent out, what, is, what does Jesus feel about what, what just happened. When the disciples come back and, they, and they're, they're so excited about all they experienced, what is, he, is Jesus even, what does he feel about that? Because in Luke 9, the 12 disciples went out and they saw lives transformed by the things that they spoke, which was weird because they weren't preachers either. And they saw people healed of diseases that they'd had since birth and who knows what all diseases, but Jesus sent them out they went out to preach and to heal, and so the sick were made well through their hands, empowered by God's Spirit. They came to know beyond any doubt that Jesus was the source of power, that he could take that power that he has, and he could use their hands to accomplish impossible, God-exclusive kinds of things. And then he also... Hello? Hello? And he also uh, revealed to them through that experience that he loved sick people, which was a big deal to them because they, th- they thought that sickness was a result of disobedience to God or some man's sin, and that he would even heal a demon-possessed man. You know, the 72 came back and said, we're excited about a lot of stuff, but let us tell you about one of the things we're excited about. We, we didn't know we could cast out demons in your name. So that Jesus loved demon-possessed people enough that he empowered his disciples to go out and cast out demons. So they, they lived, loved, they experienced all kinds of things. So does Jesus feel anything when his children gain knowledge about him by experience as they obey what he says? The answer is yes. And this is insight for me this past week into Jesus and his character. It's it's such a good insight for me that that I've never really added this. When we talk about fruit, we talk about the abiding cycle. You know, the abiding cycle for us here is we obey what God says, and then God, you know, God gives us a command to obey, and in the faith that we have, we obey what he says. When we obey, then God does what only he can do, and then we come to know him through that experience. But what I've never put into this 
whole idea, or I never thought about until this week, is that there's other fruit. And the other fruit is found in how Jesus responds to this. There are feelings. There is a feeling, an emotion, that's a fruit of the Spirit that happens whenever we obey God and He completes His work and gives us knowledge of Himself. Today we're going to look at the response of Jesus to the fruit of this experience of the 12, them going out, their experience, and then the 72 being sent out. And we're going to see another beautiful characteristic of Jesus as we see his response specifically, that Jesus rejoices with us whenever we come to know him. Have you ever thought about that? How does he feel when I come to know him, when I have my epiphanies about Jesus, when I have a life experience that teaches me something about Christ that I'll never forget? How does he feel? Jesus rejoices with us. Look at it. Just picking up after the 72 come back and announce to Jesus what, they, what had happened. And this is what he says in response to that. In the very same hour, verse 21. Did I get the right verse up there? Yeah, okay. Because I have 23 written in mine. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. And said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said to them privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So first of all, verse 21, in that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. That's not a random statement. What a beautiful expression of how Jesus responds, and he makes sure the the author... uh, make sure to reveal to us that it's in the same hour. It's in response to the fact that these disciples had come to know him in ways they never would have had they not obeyed what he said. That word rejoice, though, if you take that word in the Greek, it is to experience a state of great joy and gladness, often involving verbal expression and appropriate body movement, to be extremely joyful, to be overjoyed, to rejoice greatly, And Jesus didn't just say, well, that was cool, God. There was verbal expression, possibly dancing as he prayed to God in rejoicing to God over what the disciples had experienced. I felt a little bit of that. You've probably never seen me dance whenever you get something. You know, when you say, man, God just really showed me something. I don't do that much. I do it at the house when y'all aren't watching. But, man, I really get so excited. I feel the joy of God. Whenever you get a new understanding about who he is that no one can take away from you because you didn't get it because somebody preached it or because you read it in a book. You got it because God revealed himself through the experience that you had of obedience. And it's so different. I love that. And, And some of you are so mature spiritually. That is, you know God well. You're still babes. But you know him well because you've had so many experiences with God. And I love the fact that most of you are... Younger than 30. Younger than 25, as I look around. 
I love that because you don't have to wait until you're 55 to be able to understand these truths and be able to experience God. I'm excited about what the Lord can do in you. But listen, Jesus was excited. He rejoiced. Remember that in the abiding passages uh, when Jesus in those final moments with the disciples gave them this truth of what abiding is. He said, if you abide in me, you will produce much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. Remember that in those abiding passages, Jesus laid it out. He said, this is what abiding is. You obey what I say, and then I will do the impossible. I will reveal myself to you. But remember that as soon as he finished making those statements, he says this in verse 11 of chapter 15 of John. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Now, we talk about it a lot, because the abiding cycle is huge, but this part of the abiding cycle is so significant. Jesus was telling them this very significant truth about how to do life, this all-inclusive biblical truth that's been going on since the beginning of the world, that God would give commands to certain people, whoever would obey him, and they would obey, and God would reveal himself through some demonstrative act, God-exclusive act. He would reveal who he is, and people could come to know him by experience. And he said, I told you this for one reason. Here it is, that my joy might be in you, and that your joy might be made complete. Now, when he talks about his joy being in us, he's not talking about him giving us an infused joy that we would never experience without him literally injecting us with with joy. He's talking about his own joy. This joy is possessed by God. It's not possessed by us. He said, now our joy is our joy. But he says, I've told you these things so that I can be joyful and you can be joyful. The thing that makes God happy is when we have epiphanies about him, when we abide in him and have these great understandings about who he is. And I realized this week that more... Fruit comes from our obedience, not just God-exclusive activity, which is fruit, not just a knowledge of God that we gain, that's fruit, but also joy that we gain and joy that God gains as he dances and rejoices before the Father over us. You want to thrill God's heart, come to know him. Don't just obey him, come to know him. Church, understand. Jesus takes joy in us. He rejoices with us. He rejoices over us when we abide in him. So Jesus, according to what we've said so far, experienced a great state of joy and gladness, probably involving verbal expression and appropriate body movement. And I'll be the one to tell you what appropriate body movement is. You decide to dance. I'm just kidding. Sometimes I wish I would dance. But he experienced that when the 12 disciples and then 60 others came to know him by experience through obedience. He was extremely joyful. He was overjoyed. He rejoiced greatly with them because of the fruit of their experience. And the Father's will was accomplished in them. So take that in completely. And and guys, be filled with joy because of it. It excites me to know that Jesus is excited when I come to know him. And I feel that. I feel that. It's all right to have feelings, and you know, I don't feel much, but I feel joy when I realize that Jesus feels joy over me. That excites me. So what does it mean when Jesus rejoices with us or over us? Well, first let's look at what it doesn't mean. I want to look at what he didn't rejoice over. Jesus didn't rejoice 
over the number that went out. He didn't rejoice that there was a whole lot of people that went out, even though, first of all, he prayed for more laborers prior to sending the 12 out. He prayed for more laborers. So he, he was asking the Father. It was the Father's will that more laborers would come. Look at Luke chapter 10, verses 2 and 3. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Remember last week we saw that Jesus sent the 12 out first in chapter 9. And then in chapter 10, he's sending out 72. So 60 more people are going out. But Jesus doesn't say to the Father, Lord, I thank you so much that uh, we have, you know, we started this church with 12, and now we got 72. Thank you for sending all those numbers. For years, my ministry was all about how many people we could get into a building. And there's nothing wrong with more people, don't get me wrong. And I believe Jesus was excited about the fact that there were more people, but Jesus didn't just play or pray, rather, for people. He prayed for a specific kind of people. He prayed for laborers to go out into the harvest. And and I I want you guys to know, we take seriously the people that walk into the doors of the gathering place and begin to try to make their place in the community of the gathering place. We don't exclude anybody. Everybody is included. But I want to tell you this. There are a lot of people that are not about what we're about. So we take Six weeks to go through new member training to make sure you know what the Lord is doing in this place so we can all be like-minded believers walking together in what God's called us to do. We're not interested in accomplishing our will. We're not interested in accomplishing your will. We're accomplishing his will. That's our goal. And we want to keep that as pure as possible. So there's nothing wrong with praying for people, but he prayed for the right kinds of people, co-laborers. A building filled with Pharisees would not have brought any joy to Jesus. And we need to recognize that. And Jesus didn't rejoice in the number that went out. He was glad to see it. He prayed for it. But that's not what he rejoices over. Second thing, Jesus didn't rejoice in their obedience alone. He didn't raise his eyes to heaven with joy and say, I finally talked them into being disciples the way they're supposed to. Father, I finally got them convinced they need to go do something. Yeah, And you guys know this. You have and I have spent most of our time in ministry through the years trying to talk people into doing something they don't want to do. I'm done with that. And I love the fact that Jesus doesn't rejoice over that. I mean, it's a vital part of what they did, and it's a vital part of the abiding process. Obedience is necessary, but sometimes we get so fixated on a list of rules or duties or some hard thing that nobody else will do. And Jesus would not have had joy if the disciples would have gone out and come back to say, we did what you told us, now we're going to go spend the rest of the week doing what we want. And they were so passionate about knowing him, that they would have done anything he told them to do. Their passion was not for what they were doing so they could go and tell somebody all that they did. Their passion was to know Jesus in deeper ways. So Jesus didn't rejoice in the number that went out. He didn't rejoice in obedience alone. 
Jesus doesn't rejoice in the experience of the power that they had. What we would label only the great Christians could do, things that only great Christians could do. What pastor wouldn't be joyful over a bunch of disciples going out and coming back and saying, we cast out demons in, in Jesus' name. Demonic, uh, uh, demon-possessed people, we cast demons out of them. What pastor or leader, Christian leader, would not be happy or joyful to have that happen? Wouldn't he be, I mean, if it was me, I'd be advertising all over town probably, unfortunately. But Jesus saw the phenomenal experience that they had. He said, yeah, I saw Satan fall. But he saw the depth of their relationship with God as being more significant. And the knowledge of God that they gained through the process. And and the excitement that they should have had over the fact that their names were written in heaven. That they were part of the kingdom of God. He closes out his response to them in, in verse 20 of chapter 10. When they come back and say, we cast out demons in your name. We didn't know that. And Jesus says in verse 20 of chapter 10. Nevertheless... Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice in the relationship that you have with God, the depth of that relationship, the increased knowledge that you gain about who you serve. Man, get excited about that. That's what Jesus is dancing about. He says, you want to rejoice? Rejoice in this, that you're abiding in me and you're coming to know me. Rejoice in that. Don't be distracted and fixated. I know all these things are good. And they seem to be good. So why didn't Jesus rejoice over those things? Listen, when we fixate on numbers and followers that we have or obedience, uh, that is simply doing the right thing, our powerful experiences that we have, and we get fixated on all of that, we miss the fruit that God wants us to experience. As a matter of fact, these things were the very things that caused Jesus to pronounce the woes to the people of uh, Chorazin and uh, in Bethsaida, in the verses prior to that, when, he, when they came home, when they came back, and, and they, they said that they had cast out demons, or when he sent them out, he said, woe to those who don't receive you. It would be better for Chorazin and Bethsaida than them. And the people of Chorazin and Bethsaida were people that were stuck in dead religion. Look at it in verse 20 and 24 of Matthew 11. This is before he sends the 12 out or the, you know, the 72 out. It says, Then he began to denounce the cities of where the most, of, most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in, in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted in heaven? You will be brought down. To Hades, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Uh, what does he mean by why is he saying woe to Korah and why why is he saying woe to these these towns? Because they were very religious towns. In 1920, the excavators found a uh, a decorated stone seat that was referred to as, as Moses' seat, the seat of Moses. Uh, it's talked about in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. It was a place where uh, authority, an authoritative teacher would teach or sit and read the Torah. 
in the Old Testament. And there's a replica that was found behind the synagogue doorway in Chorazin. And I thought about that this week as I read that. I thought, Jesus is referring to that. He's referring to people who sit in a seat of authority and speak the word and they don't live the life. There is no action that's tied to what they read. So it's all about, again, gathering the people to hear what I have to say. It's about gathering enough numbers to make myself feel good. It's about make sure you, you do what I say, but I'm not going to do what I say. Jesus talked about that in Matthew 23 in the woes to the Pharisees. He said in verses 2 through 4, the teachers of the law and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must obey them and do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. And so when Jesus is saying, woe to these people who are just going to continue to go through the motions, that doesn't bring Jesus any joy. It doesn't bring Jesus joy for churches to be filled with people who are, who are building idols to themselves and speaking words to be heard, uh, to be adored and loved. And, 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 and instead of bringing people as, as a friend of the bridegroom, bringing the bride to Jesus and making him look good, we're stealing the bride away for ourselves and asking the church to love, look at us, to love us, to be a part of us. And all these things that we're so focused on are all about us. Man, I want so badly for us to have Jesus rejoicing over us. So what does he rejoice over? Jesus rejoices in, in the character of God that was revealed to them through the experience. Look at verse 11, uh, chapter 11, verses 25 and 26 of Matthew. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Jesus rejoiced in the fact that they saw the will of the Father prompted by his grace, that he revealed himself to the simple, that it didn't take a scholar. Matter of fact, the scholars were at Chorazin and Bethsaida, at Capernaum. That's where the scholars were. These were not the scholars. And he compares the two, and he says, thank you, God, that they see you. They see you. These simple-minded people understand your grace reaching out to them. They don't feel like they deserve to know you, and yet they do know you. I thank you that you're revealing yourself to them. That all these other people are doing all this stuff to try and, uh, they say, draw God in. And you're not showing up there, but you're showing up for them. Thank you, God, that you refuse to reveal yourself to those people who proclaim or who, who claim to be wise, but who for centuries have been hiding the truth from the people. And that their eyes could see and their ears could hear the truth about who God was. Man, I love that. Look at what he says again in verse 23 and 24 of Luke 10. This is all the same story, two different gospels. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you, many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So what can we gain from this church? As the church tries to continue, the church out there tries to continue to put on you a legalistic view of God, continues to try to put on you some 
different ways of measuring success, whether it be their numbers or rule following or some demonstrative experiences and try to get you fixated on all of that. Remember what Jesus rejoices in. Jesus rejoices in us and with us when we come to know God by experience. So when religious people are trying to weigh you down with dead religion that lifts up men and organizations, Jesus has a word for you. He prays this to the Father, but he says something to the disciples in Matthew's account of this scripture. At the end of this whole prayer that he prays to God and the story that he tells the disciples, he says this in verse 27. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. So watch this, man. When religious people are trying to weigh you down with their religion that lifts up man and doesn't lift up God, Jesus says this, come to me. All those of you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Here's what the disciples did. (laughs) They didn't gather up a bunch of supplies to go out. In fact, Jesus said, I got your supplies, don't worry about it. They didn't take the burden of, what if they don't receive us? Jesus told them what to do with that. Wipe the dust off your feet, move on. He said, go to to the villages, and there's going to be somebody in the village that's a person of peace if you're supposed to stay there. There's going to be a person there that's going to receive you. This is easy. Just do what I'm telling you and watch what happens. Go out and watch what I do. And Jesus did all of that. He prepared the way. Disciples found villages and people were saved and lives were transformed and sick were healed and demons were cast out of people. They did things they had no clue they could do. And so the next time they went out, they didn't didn't gather a bunch of people and say, okay, everybody gather in and let me tell you all what you got to do. And here's the list, and here's the seminar on how we go out. All they had to do is say, ask Jesus, and he will tell you what to do. It's interesting. In Luke 9, Jesus tells the 12 what to do. In Luke 10, Jesus tells the 72 what to do. He is our source. He is the one that gives the commands. He's the one that tells us what to do, when to do it. We don't have to make apologies to anybody who tries to tell us that what we do when Jesus tells us to do something is not enough. It is exactly enough. And it is exactly going to be the thing that brings joy to your life and brings joy to the Father. It's when we obey what he says. I love the fact that Jesus says, look, in response to all of what just happened, this ministry that we did together, because you obeyed what I said, you got to see the fruit. In response to all of that, hey, look, don't let anybody put religion on you again. People are trying to draw you back into that old dead stuff. Come to me. Don't go to each other either within the church. You know, sometimes some of you are asking other people to tell you what God wants to do you to do in your life. Don't go to other people. Come to me, Jesus says. Come to me, he says. If you're, if you're heavy laden, I will give you rest. Jesus will give it to you himself. Sometimes people will tell you things that be an amateur providence in your life, and the things that they tell you adds more stress than rest. 
But ask God. And let God be the one to tell you what to do because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. All you got to do is take a step. Okay. Take another step. All right. Got that. How hard is that? God wants to be involved in all the intimate details of your life. The Holy Spirit is ready to show you how exciting life can be when you come to know God in your daily experiences of life. And you will be joyful. And I want you to know today, without any doubt, that the Father is going to verbally speak joy and the Holy Spirit is going to be dancing and giving a bodily, if he had a body, maybe it had to be through you, a bodily expression, but they are rejoicing greatly. The Godhead rejoices greatly when you come to know truth about them. Did you realize that that's what we were created for? Was to know him and be in awe of him because our hearts have seen God for who he is? that our eyes have seen and our ears have heard who he really is, not what we grew up with, not what we've held on to, but what God is revealing to us in life. That's what he created us for. Before the foundation of the world, God wanted us in Christ to be sons and daughters who are finding our joy in him, and he's finding his joy in us. All right, let's, let's pray for a second. As, we're going to worship one more time before we leave, and as we do, Man, I pray your worship today will be fueled by this discovery today that as we sing with joy about who we know, that he is singing over us because we know him. Man, that's powerful. And it excites me. I hope that you will find in your heart some, some joy over the discoveries that you had about who he is this week. And that he, and know that he is rejoicing with you, that you have discovered that. It's what he created you for. Father, I thank you that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding. I thank you that you have reduced me from a person who was wise and understanding to a little child. That it was your gracious will to reveal yourself to me. Father, I just pray today that whatever burden we are holding on to that religion has put on us, that we release that today. That we wouldn't continue to hold on to a legalistic view of God. That we wouldn't hold on to religion that promotes success that's measured by numbers or rule following or demonstrative experiences but that we would find our joy in knowing you in those experiences and, and that we would find you dancing over us, rejoicing with us. Father, let that sink into our hearts today. Let it change us as we move into this week. Father, I pray for every person here that we would come to you and take the rest that you have for us. Take the yoke as well the work that you call us to do, but God, a work that would cause us to learn from you and learn about you, that you are gentle and lowly in heart. Give us that easy yoke today, that light burden as we yield ourselves to you.